Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, you know, Randy's been encouraging me to, uh, you get into a long series and, you know, he's like, you know, after a few weeks, you ought to, like, take a break and, and, and do a different sermon, and then go back into the series, and then after a while, take a break and get, in, you know, do a different style of sermon. So we've been in Matthew for so long, I decided that we needed to take a break. <laughs> no, actually, um, I really felt this week that the Lord wanted me to change my direction. We're going to go back to Matthew in about seven weeks. But I, I really feel that, uh, that as a church, we need to decide what type of church will we be. What type of church are we going to be? Not what type of church were we. This church has been around since 1887, and I'm sure they were meeting a few weeks before 1887, like 1884, but officially 1887. Today we're going to cover a church that Jesus wrote a letter to that have been around for all 50 some odd years, almost 60 years, um, or actually probably about 40 years if I remember correctly. But I think it's important for us to decide as we look at seven different churches in the book of Revelations, where do we fit into that picture and where do we want to go? Because if Jesus took time enough out to, to write to these seven churches that kind of represent the world today and the, and the styles of churches. If he took time to do that, then it's, then it's good for us to think about where we fit into that picture. So grab your Bibles. We're in Revelations, 1, uh, Revelations 2, 1 through 7. And, and there, was a, there was a famous writer that lived in San Francisco about 100 years ago. Uh, his name was Ambrose Burst. And he was kind of the Mark Twain of, of the West, and he, he wrote this book called The Devil's Dictionary. And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek type of thing, and he would make up his own definitions of, of different things. And what he said about the book of Revelation, he said, Revelation, a famous book where St. John the Divine concealed all that he knew, the revealing is done by commentators who know nothing and I don't know if you've ever taken a, a moment to, to, to read Revelations, much less study the book of Revelations. And if you've ever studied the book of Revelations, I, I'm for sure you've gone for another book and said, okay, something's got to explain this to me because I can't understand it. And, that, and that's kind of the point he's making here. If you've ever read this, you would agree with me and agree with him. I mean, there's wild pictures of, of John being taken up into heaven and seeing all these wild, weird-looking animals that we don't see here on earth. But there's a section in the book that is much easier to understand, especially if you study the history of the place. 
It seems that in each letter that Jesus wrote to these seven churches, he says to them, I love this about you, but there's this little part over here that I don't like and I want to address. I love this, but there's some little things. And I think we can learn from this in our modern times. So let me set the scene for you. Because Revelation is one of those books that's just hard to understand. The Apostle Paul is the last living apostle at this point. All the other ones have been killed off. All the other apostles are are, are gone. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Andrew was shot in, 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 I think, in India with an arrow and died. So he's the last living apostle. And the authorities went after him. And they caught him. And they literally dipped him into boiling oil trying to kill him. Because, I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, you've got to make it fun, right? That's how the Romans thought. Let's make some fun out of this. Well, he didn't die, so they, they banned him to the island of Patmos, where he'd live out the rest of his days. Imagine the scars on his body when he was worshiping Jesus. He loved God. He loved Jesus. He knew that Jesus was real, and he would worship God through that pain And one day he's worshiping God. And this thunderous voice comes out and says, Take a letter. Now, I don't know how God sounds. That's just my interpretation. But it says, Take a letter. And he turns around and he sees Jesus. He sees the resurrected, glorified Jesus sitting on the throne. Different from the pictures that we see today. I mean, he's got snow white hair that's just flowing that that signifies his wisdom. He's got this white robe on that signified the glory of God and a gold sash that goes across, you know, because he's the high priest now. His eyes are like flaming fire. His feet are are like a hot glowing metal. And he's standing in the middle of seven lampstands and he holds in his his hands seven stars. And every time he spoke, a two-edged sword would, would shoot out of his mouth. I mean, this is some wild, you know, stuff. This imagery is just unbelievable. And he says, write to the seven churches, and the sword just keeps coming out with each word. I mean, if that happened to me, I think I'd grab a pen and paper. Okay, I'm ready. So he says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you had fallen? Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have to do this in your favor. Or but but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the the uh, yeah, those guys. You hate those guys. Which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
Now, this is a very interesting letter that he writes to the Ephesians. You know, the Apostle John is writing this in about 95 AD, roughly 40 years after the crucifixion of Christ. He was buried and he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven. All the other apostles have been gone and killed off. He's the last living apostle. He's an old man as he writes this revelation from, from Jesus. So Jesus says, write a letter to the Ephesians. Tell them that they have some great things about their church, but there are some things that just aren't so great anymore. Now today, you know, Ephesus is just in ruins. Back then it was a major metropolitan city. I mean, it had a half a million people. And to have a half a million people back in that time, that was a big deal. All the comrades would, would come through. And, and what this picture is, is it's showing you this was the mall area. So think of, you know, you go to the mall. Okay, we live in Tulare. We don't have a huge mall. Think of the outlets, but, you know, 15 times the size of our outlets, a half a million people. It was a huge marketplace. The stuff would go from, from Rome to them. They were like the central area where, where all the commerce would come down into and get distributed around the area. It was one of the five largest cities of the Roman Empire. And it was filthy rich. They had a white marble walkway. Uh, here, here's some of the, some of the store booths that were, were, were in there. Just like our stores would be. They're all lined up. And then it had a, a white marble walkway that was a mile long that literally they polished to a shine. It led from the seaport all the way into the, the city center where the mall was. I mean, just beautiful. And it was lined with, with columns all the way through. Uh, and these columns, it, it was just kind of, uh, a lot of them were 60 foot tall. And, and they, were, they were just, you know, they had um, gold. They were gilded in gold. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the columns uh, a little bit later. But they had a theater that would, would fit 45,000 people. Now we would go, well, yeah, well, you know, San Francisco Giants, they get that. No, 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 no. Back then, 45,000 people in a, in a stadium, in a theater, was huge. It was huge. It was an incredible pagan place. They had a temple that was built by Alexander. Alexander the Great. It was one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world. 425 foot long. 222, uh, 225 feet wide. It had 100 columns. Each, uh, each side of the column was gilded in gold that was 60 foot tall, donated by different kings around the world. It was dedicated to the goddess, uh, goddess of, of Diana, or as the Greeks would call it, Artemis. It was basically a fertility cult, and, and we could go into all those different things. It was a meteorite that landed. It looked like a woman that had a whole bunch of breasts and, and all that kind of stuff. But they turned this into a cult. Within 300 yards, it was considered sanctuary. So if you did something wrong, if you just got within 300 yards, you know how, how they say if you go to another country and you get in trouble, you, you need to get to the American embassy, and once you get in the doors of the American embassy, that's it, they can't get you? That's the way it was with the sanctuary. Three, within 300 yards, it was considered sanctuary. They had hundreds of priestesses who worked for the temple as prostitutes because it was a fertility cult. Evil, vile, 
area was around the temple. They had a statue of the goddess, and behind that statue was the richest vault in the Roman Empire. Nothing is left today of that temple except for this one pole. Here's a picture from a couple sides of it. That's the only thing left of that temple is this one column. But imagine the Apostle Paul arriving for the first time in the heyday of a half a million people city. I mean, coming from Israel. That's a big deal. The vastness of the city. Commerce going on. You know, going on. You know, the first concept of the, of the mall. I mean, if Rome was like New York, Ephesus was, was Los Angeles. It was the place to be. They had something called the Ephesian letters, and, and we kind of talked about this before as we went through the book of Ephesians. That you wanted to bless or heal or curse someone, you, you, you got this little letter from Ephesus. And, and if you were in Ephesus, they would have all these people that you, you, they, would, they would write on it, and they'd put it on your skin, and it would transfer to your skin, and, and it would, they would leave it on there, and then you would come to them, and they would rip it off and say, abracadabra, that's where the word comes from, from Ephesus, they'd say, abracadabra, and lo and behold, the ink would be gone. It would have been soaked in, but, you know, it was kind of a trick. Lots of, lots of weird things, but all around, I mean, these letters were sold all over the Nome Empire at that time. Knowledge was important to them. They had museums that were huge. They had libraries. Well, if you look at the book of Ephesus, you see three different periods of history. And when you look at each period of history, you start to understand why Jesus writes to them now, 40 years later. You go back and you see some interesting things in their past. Because the Apostle Paul was, was the founder of this church. The Apostle Paul was the, the, the one that said, Timothy, when I leave, you're going to be the pastor. And then Timothy was, was literally beaten to death by a mob in Ephesus. The next pastor would, would be the Apostle John himself until he was banished to the island of Patmos. Church history says that John took care of Jesus' mother Mary and that she died in the city of Ephesus. When the church in Ephesus was founded, it had solid leadership. You had pretty good guys leading it. You had Paul, you had Timothy, and then you had John. Well, let's look at the beginning of this church in Acts 19. Let's see how it's founded. It says here, when, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road there uh, through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And that's what they used to call Christianity. It was the way. So Paul left them. 
He took the disciples with him and had daily or discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius, and that was a Greek schoolmaster nearby. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched, uh, that, touch, uh, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So people were watching Paul as he's in this city. And, he, and you know, they, they tried to do the same thing as Paul. In fact, you go back and see some stories, but, but they didn't believe in Jesus. So here they were trying to, you know, heal people like Paul and trying to, you know, because Paul had magic and the magic was Jesus. So therefore, we're going to use that same magic. And, and, you know, thought it was some sort of trick. And, and if you read, go through the story and stuff, you, you know, one of them's casting out a, a demon in Jesus' name. And the demon says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And he literally, you know, stripped him naked and, and beat him and kicked him out, you know. In fact, verse 17, it says here, if you go down in Acts, it says, when, the, when this became known that the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed of their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, a total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's like $15,000. In this way, the, Lord, the way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So here we have the founding of the church in Ephesus. No one knows about Jesus. For two years, Paul stayed there and preached about Jesus and showed them who Jesus was and healed people. God was doing great things through this church. But not only in Ephesus, but around the world. You know, it was one of the greatest ports in history at that time. So the word was spreading. (coughs) Everyone knew about this church. People would come in and they were, you know, they'd come in a port and they'd only be there for a few hours or they would go down and buy one of the little Ephesus letters because they wanted to be, you know, blessed or they wanted to curse somebody or they wanted to be healed. And, and they'd come in and they'd say, oh, you know, don't, don't do that. Go talk to Paul. He has, he's got Jesus. So, uh, there's a new God in town. Go talk to him. And it started to change their lives. They brought their books, those that lived there, and burned them. I mean, they'd been kind of a half a Christian for a while, kind of dabbling in it, a kind of a Christian. You know, I've been hanging out with Christians, but now my life has changed because God has taken a hold of it, and this stuff that I was doing that, that is not of God, I'm going to get rid of it. And they literally burned some of those things. They got on board. Later, the people of Ephesus got upset. I mean, it started hurting their trade in the, in the temple trinkets, and a lot of people were losing business. And if you lose business, you've got to figure out why you're losing business. And it was that God thing. It was Jesus. That's why we're losing it. And there was a riot in a the theater, and they brought Paul in, or Paul, you know, and they literally, Paul had to flee for his life. That's the beginning of it. Now, in the middle part of their biblical history, it's about 10 years later, Timothy is now the pastor. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, and, and he writes a letter back to him, you know, going, how are you doing? 
I've been hearing about you, Timothy. I've been hearing about you, you know, church in Ephesus. I've been hearing about it. And some things I want you to remember. And he writes it in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I kept asking that the, the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Ten years later, Paul is writing to them about their great love. Everyone's talking about you guys. We've heard about it. We know about it. But I'm also praying that the Lord would give you an increase in knowledge. I mean, the first half of the book is, you know, really about hardcore doctrines that the Ephesians needed to know. The second half of the, of the book that he wrote was, was really about, okay, now that you know all those doctrines, now that you understand who God is, this is how you should live now. This is how you should behave now. This is how you, you know, or how you're supposed to be unified as a group, the whole letter is to get to the second stage of God. You love God. Now learn how to live by God's standards because you love God. Then after that letter, he writes a specific letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And he writes to Timothy, he says, As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer nor to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies. In other words, worthless fighting, infighting. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from the pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from, from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about are what they so confidently affirm. So 10 years later, he writes a letter to the whole church. I know that you love God. Now learn about God. To the leader, keep false teachers out of the church. You've got a great group there, Timothy, but they don't know much. You've got to teach them. Be careful. Don't let them get off on things that they shouldn't be getting off on that aren't from God because there's wolves out there that are waiting to devour Three to five years later, Paul writes again about the same issue in 2 Timothy. And he says, hey, they're, they're teaching some wrong stuff and they don't know better. Teach them. Stop arguing over petty things. Well, 40 years go by. The church was a, you know, founded in about A.D. 53. And now the Apostle John writes directly from Jesus to the leadership of the church. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found uh, them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name have not, and have not grown weary. Forty years later, now they're strong. They're testing those who preach against the Scripture. 
Now they're able to tell the difference between, you know, in teaching. They're educated now. This is good teaching. This is bad teaching. This is biblical. This is non-biblical. That's why it's so important for us to get into the Word. So when somebody starts spouting something, we can go, hey, I, I agree with that. That's biblical. Or if they start saying something, we go, what? That's not in my Bible. That's not what I read. Where'd you get that? Oh, well, you know, so-and-so it was just a philosophy compared to what is real in the Bible. We go, no, that is false teaching. I've been in a small group for 10 years. I've studied that. Earlier, I wouldn't have known that, but now I recognize the truth. It was a strong church. It was full of leaders. You got great works going. They've always worked for the Lord because of their faith. They've not grown weary. There was riots because of them. They have scars together. They've gone through a lot together. They saw their pastor Timothy beat to death in the streets, and they survived. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, you guys need to see me in the street being beat to death and you survive. I'm just saying that's what happened. They have a strong church now. They've gone through those hardships. They're an educated church. They're the leaders that God always wanted them to be. Yet there are a couple of problems. He starts out by talking, you know, about himself. These are the words who hold the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. And if you go down in Revelations, you'll read in verse 20, it tells him what it means. He, you know, it says, you know, the stars are seven stars and they're the angels of the seven churches. And he's walking among seven lampstands and, and those are the seven churches. And the first thing he has to, to tell them is, you know, tell this educated, strong, hard-working church is you have forgotten who is in charge. I am the one who holds you. And in the Greek, it literally that means I'm the one that grasps you. I'm the one that has, has, a, has a hold of you. I'm not going to let you go. That's what he's saying. He walks among them. You're a mature but I am in charge. You've forgotten that, he tells him. You know, time led to that they forgotten who had supplied their knowledge. All of a sudden, knowledge was the most important thing. You saw the pictures of the, of the library in Ephesus. Knowledge was what was most important, but they forgot that God provided that knowledge. And their love, you know, their love that had turned from loving Jesus to loving the institution. Preserve the institution. Forget about Jesus. And then he says in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. All your love is turned into programs. I, I, I dislike the word program. I, you know, well, our church program, I, I cannot stand that word because it's a ministry. It reminds us of why we do things, why we serve. Their love for those that, you know, that had less, basically it had less to do with their soup ministry program, you know, it had more to do with what programs do we have. Their benevolence is now a program controlled by so-and-so. Their love had turned into programs that were once great, but they left Jesus behind because they forgot the purpose. The, you know, the Ephesian church is just like our individual churches in America. Early stage. Jesus comes and they accept him. They believe. The incredible power, the zeal that they have. You know, I can't wait to learn. I can't wait to serve. You know, it's like, like I was talking about earlier when you first meet your, your future spouse. 
Man, I just can't wait to be around them. You're all excited. And they see God move in their lives, and it changes us. Can't wait, you know, to, uh, or can't keep living uh, the same way. We can't wait to learn more. That's the early part of the Christian faith, devouring knowledge of our Savior, looking for leaders to teach us. That's what it's about in the early days. And then you get to the middle stage, you know, you're growing in leadership. You got the love thing down. You're, you're still learning and you're starting to lead. You know, you got prayers going. You, you realize that there's more to, to being a Christian than just the emotion. And usually this is prompted by some type of crisis in your life. And then you have to decide, do I really believe this or do I not? And you find out, man, I really do believe this. And we start to understand that, that being a Christian sometimes is a, is a battle. It's a struggle, but it's so worth it. And we learn how to be strong and combat the world. And this leads to the third period. We've got it down now. We, we know what to do. We know the word of God. We know that, that I, Isaiah says such and such. And, and we know what Paul, Paul says and what Paul means in this book and that book. And, and we, know, we know what premillennialism and eschatology means because we've learned all the church words. We know the doctrines, but then church turns into a program for us. Church turns into something that we just do, something we just show up to. We're sort of involved, not really involved. We're just there because that's what we do. Church services become a formula that we follow because it becomes about the formula because it's always worked. Why would we want to change that? We just don't love like we used to. We follow the rules. All my energy goes to preserving the institution. A lot of us over the years have felt like this, right? At some point in our life. I know I, even I have. I've been at certain places where I've just felt that. Where you're just like, man, I just, I, I just don't know. Enthusiasm is gone. Skepticism is high. As high as it can be. We walk into the church and we sit down and we really don't do anything. Why serve faithfully for years? We get involved when we want to. And complained. And slowly over time, it takes us away. And now we're either just following along or we go somewhere else. And God says, wait, don't lose your love for me. You're serving me, not the church. You have lost your wave. You've lost your vision. You have lost the reason why you became a follower of, of me. Your theology is right on, but don't let me love you. But you uh, sorry, I read that wrong. But you don't love me anymore. This is a big deal for Jesus. He says in verse 5, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, a church with powerful programs is not enough for Jesus. Jesus says, I need a church who will love me and follow me. If you go to modern day Ephesus, there's not much there. In fact, if you go to modern-day Ephesus, it's very hard to find a Christian church at all. 
And that was the strong, one of the strongest church in the world at that time. For Jesus, it's about love. You know, we're good at loving those who love us, aren't we? Oh, it's so easy to love those that love us. But not so good when somebody crosses us or disagrees with us. We don't, we don't love so much. But for Jesus, it's all about love. Maybe you're in the first stage. You know, you're just going strong. You're going, this is great. I'm learning. And, and man, something is something's just busting out of me I haven't felt before. And, you know, I'm, I'm sticking with it. You're growing in knowledge. You weed things out of your life that shouldn't be there. Or maybe you're, you're in that middle period. God is saying, it's, you know, it's time to, to be a leader. It's time to step up. It's time for you to not to be a follower so much as to actually lead. You can make a difference in the kingdom of God. If you're here, I say stay in love with Jesus. Become totally dependent on Him. Or you'll get to the third area where you can do ministry. In fact, you've done it for a while. You've done it so much that you got to the point where you don't need God to do it anymore with you because you know how to do this. You're like, okay, God, I got this. I can handle this. Man, we did this last year. Oh, we've been doing this for 20 years. Oh, we've been doing this for 100 years. This is how we do it. I got this. And we forget that God wants to be in it and involved. Jesus would say, fall in love with me again today. You know, it's hard for us to admit things. It's very difficult. Because it puts us in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. It puts us in a place that we don't like, do we? Because we like feeling secure. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you feel like, man, maybe my first love is kind of gone away a little bit. The feeling that I had about Jesus and about God, it's not so much there anymore. I mean, I know I love God, but I got to find my first love again. How many of you would raise your hand and say, that, that's me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, for those that are feeling today, that maybe they've lost their way. They're, they're a believer. They love you. But they've lost that feeling of their first love. The giddiness of, of being involved with you. The desire to want to be around you. The desire to want to be in your word. And the desire to serve you. I pray that as we look through these churches, that we take a little from each church and we start to understand what you're trying to tell us as a church body. That maybe we have to look at our first love and say, why are we here? What are we doing this for? And where should I go from here? What should I do? Lord, I pray for those that uh, have that feeling that you would just talk with them this week. But sometimes we do need to feel that emotion of loving you. And I pray that you reciprocate that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you see his love to you that we respond when you do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen.